Hey Kyle, Maddie Coburn here. I'm from New Jersey, but I'm currently tuning in from Hoi An, Vietnam, at the end of a super long solo travel trip. I've been binging on your podcast recently, and I've decided I love it for the same reasons that I love travel. You know, you learn a lot every day, you get introduced to really rad people, and you get reminded about all the beauty and goodness in this world that's worth fighting for. Uh, Something I'm really stoked about is a project I recently started called Live Grateful. It's all about bringing communities together in the pursuit of gratitude. So I'm really excited to get back to Asbury Park and hit the ground running with that. Uh, For now, I'm going to go bike ride to the beach, so I will catch you later. Thanks. Thank you, Maddie. I have yet to travel to Vietnam. It is on my list. If any of you would like a message played at the beginning of my show, you can record it on your phone using voice memos and try and keep it under 30 seconds. Tell me who you are, where you're listening from, something you're excited about these days, and email it to assistant at kyle.surf. Once again, that's assistant at kyle.surf, and maybe we will play it. This conversation is with Clint Kimmons, and woo-wee, it was a good one. Clint is a professional triathlete. He is an Ironman competitor. He is a big wave surfer. He's making a push for the big wave world tour, and I would not doubt if he makes it. He's also a shredding small wave surfer. Uh, I ran into him out at Malibu the other day and was looking up the point. I was like, damn, who is that guy? Ripping. I'm like, oh, it's Clint. So he's got it all, and uh, just just a really good guy, very well-spoken, a lot of good information to share, and dropped a bomb of a story about midway through. So be sure to get in touch with Clint if you enjoy this podcast. You can get in touch with me on my website, kyle.surf. This is an ad-free podcast, so if any of you would like to spend the equivalent of buying me a cup of coffee every month, you can go over to my website kyle.surf and donate five bucks ten bucks whatever you can offer and if not don't worry about it itunes uh ratings help listening helps sharing it with friends helps it all helps so without further my have lost my words today but without further preamble please welcome to the show my man mr clint kimmons Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. There's so many people that drop by in LA and they're like, Clint, let's train. You know, I'd love to go ride the hills with you and I commit to it somewhat. Let's do it. Let's go train. I want to hang out. And then they get here and I have to like, have to work or like a good example of that would probably be my reasoning for being here in the States is to get a huge day at Mavs. And for the whole winter, apart from a couple days before the gigantic swell, like the, the one you're on the boat, there's that classic shot of Pete Mel paddling over that one billion Massive foot up. Wave, yeah. That was the day I was waiting for. And I was so broke and so just, I needed a job. And like a week before that started working and my boss gave me the option, gave me the option to uh, go up earlier in the week when we had that 
good day, but it wasn't, you know, huge. It was some 20 footers. The Monday. The Monday. And then, um, nice clean day, but relatively inconsistent. It wasn't massive. Exactly. It was like, you know, a good size Mavs day, but it wasn't that Armageddon, you know, day that I've really been looking for. And then as soon as I commit to work, I miss that day. The boss goes, well, you've got a two day window. So I took the sure thing because the winds look good for the Monday. It was definitely going to be good. Whereas the big day, it was always going to be a little tricky with the wind. Well, it looked like a write-off until the day before, and those winds switched, and it looked like it. And then it let up for about two hours, and then the south winds got on it, and it turned to dog shit. Yeah, but that was the day that I've been dreaming about for 10 years. Whether I would have got a wave or not, I don't know. But um, that's the day that, it, you know, when I train that I, I think about and I've been focusing on, and to miss it by a couple days being here in California that was just like such a kick in the nuts when you train now would you say that you are training more for big wave surfing or for triathlons or what is it that you're like what's the visualization process um definitely for triathlons I think it's um people always ask me you can't do both or like they tell me actually you can't do both it's one or the other and I think they're so wrong it's crazy because Essentially, what I what I have been doing, what I'd like to do, is train full time as a professional athlete, and I vary my workouts a little bit. So in the pool, I'll do a lot more hypoxic training. So I'll hold do a lot more breath holds in between strokes, or you know, in between a set, I'll hold my breath and do like an underwater thing. And then, uh, but the byproduct of triathlon is fitness. And you know, I was on the WQS for you know a number of years. I had a really good junior career, so. I've somewhat created this formula that would, I think, put you at the top of the big wave. You know, hopefully in the big wave world tour, it would put you in that, that top little part. Whereas you need to be athletically fit. You need to have obviously competitive, um, competitive experience. Um, charging is one thing you have to have. And, you know, hopefully we all have that. Otherwise we're, we're not out there. And then um, just this whole competitive edge and you know like what I've learned through triathlon is so much about nutrition that surfers haven't even gone close to diving into yet you know you see guys shaking a protein shake you know on their Instagram stories and it's cool because it means it's heading in the right direction and you know guys are starting to learn but we're light years behind other athletes I always I always have to chuckle when people talk about big wave surfers as elite athletes Mm mm-hmm I'm just like, it's just, no, that's not the way it works. There are triathletes who are training as a full-time job. Yeah. Every waking moment and every <laughs> 24 hours pretty much is about being healthier, being stronger, being faster. And really what I'd like to do is carry that work ethic, the triathlon work ethic over into surfing. And in my opinion, I'm not saying personally, hopefully, but I think you'd have to be unstoppable, you know, because you're not cranking turns or anything yeah it's progressing in a big way where guys are knifing it you know like look what dorian's doing and elby's doing on the bowl at jaws but you know you don't have to surf that well and it's no disrespect to any of the big wave guys you know it's, it's hard to turn a 10 foot two board or like knife it under the lip but you're not ripping so to speak so i think if you can get really fit you have a good competitive background you want it enough i think that's a really good and the nutrition's there um, I think that's a really good platform to to create somewhat of a world champion. So if someone is interest, was interested in surfing big waves and came to you and they were committed to taking it to this next level, what kind of 
program would you get them on? Um, it really depends on their background with surfing. So I don't know if you could give me like, say, you know, a kid who did the QS for a few years and then dropped off or something like that. Obviously, I'd like to see how fit they are as in not how strong they are or how long they can hold their breath. Like, you know, don't get me wrong. It would be insane to hold your breath for five minutes or, you know, if you're free diving. But the reality is you're not going to be getting held down for five minutes. So for me, I'd like to see what they could do over 30 seconds and repeat that 30 times because let's say a, a bad wipeout at Mavs and it's a two-wave hold down. What do you think? 20 seconds? Maybe. Maybe. That would be a long one, right? That would be a very long time on 20 seconds. So I think we can all survive that 20 seconds, but it's about going back out and replicating it. Um, one thing I really learned by watching the Jaws event this year from the channel and getting some waves before and after the contest was how hard guys go in their first heat. They absolutely balls to the wall, charge their asses off. And you could see even though it was over two days, by their next heat and even the semis and the finals, they were so much more reserved. Guys were cramping. They, you could just tell they didn't want it. So for me, if someone came to me, I'd like them to paddle for the last wave of the event or the last wave of the day just as hard as they would travel, uh, paddle for the first one. Right. So it's about backing up that 20-second you know, effort. So it would be a lot of interval training um, and just pretty much becoming highly efficient. You know, not the strongest guy in the world, not the longest paddler, not the longest breath hold, but just doing the small things really well and being able to back those up. What kind of pool training uh, are you doing? You mentioned that you go into the pool and you'll train differently if you're uh, working towards a triathlon versus training for big wave surfing. Um, I pretty much swim anywhere from... Oh, on a bad week, it could only be twice a week. On a regular week, if I'm in a structured training block for a race four to five times a week, um, two of those sessions would be really hard, like high intensity, uh, anywhere from three to five kilometers. So what's that, 2.4 miles, three miles. Um, and you can still do the same sets. Like I've got a lot of my swim sets from previous squads that I've swam in and um, even some of the Australian coaches that have, you know, came over and helped me out and given me some of their, some of their sessions. But, you know, I'll just do what hypoxic training is altering your breathing. So some people breathe every third stroke, every fifth stroke, every, every whatever. So it's about really mixing that up or at the end of a hard set, I might do 10 strokes underwater um, without breathing and then hit the wall and then do another 10. So you're completely gassed and then go back into a breathing pattern for say 20 seconds or half the length of the pool and then go back into that. So you're constantly fatiguing yourself and falling into that state of panic. You know, and there's no, I haven't designed any of this stuff for big waves, but it, it, it increases your lung capacity and that's essentially what you're looking for. And at the same time, you're doing it while smashing your, your um, your muscles, you know, so it's like paddling. Or when you're underwater, you're constantly getting thrashed. So for me, that's much more important. In, this is just my opinion than learning how to free dive or do these static holds and all those sort of things. But, you know, I could be wrong, but it's it's worked so far. And Well, it's a lot more realistic because I, when whenever people have the conversation with me of ask me, how long can you hold your breath? It's irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant. Yeah. Because a static apnea breath hold is going to be so much different than <laughs> totally. after you've been surfing for four hours. Yeah. 
And I just think, especially with the technology now, with the vest and everything, you just you can you know you're going to come up. You know those things have saved, I think, countless lives. Like look how hard everyone's been going the last five years. And have we? I don't know if we've had a death in like since, no, since there, the vests have been out. No, there hasn't been a death since yeah. they've been out. That said, the vests have failed for people on various occasions, so they're not <laughs> foolproof yeah. at all. And I think it's very important to to emphasize, emphasize that they aren't uh, a magic pill. Oh, absolutely not. You know, I um, actually listened to your podcast with Peter Mel, and I think everything that he said about the vest, he just nailed it on the head. You don't go and climb Everest, you know, on your first trek or your first hike. You know, you work your way up to it. And I think uh, definitely the people that can go in and buy those vests, they need to take that on board and really have some self-responsibility for the stuff they're about to get into. Yeah. So you were on the QS, and did you start doing triathlons after the QS? After the QS, yeah. So, um... So, oh, the story's so deep. It's like there's so many layers to go into. But we got time. Yeah. So I, um, I'll go from the start. Like I had a really successful junior career. I um, was always rated within the top few on the Australian Junior Series, which was, which was. Um, We're in a big, uh, open, uh, wide open room, so I don't want to get the. Um, go for it. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so I was uh, on the Junior Series. Had a really good junior career and had all the sponsors and you know. Guys in the mags would say, you know, he's going to be the next guy to qualify for the tour and all this sort of thing. And then, um, yeah, won a junior junior world title um, at 16. It wasn't the yeah, like the ASP one back then. It was like the, I uh, can't remember, that. it was like ISA or something along those lines. Or uh, Luke Munro won the, the under-18s, I won the 16s. And then um, Natural Progression went on to the QS and couldn't get through a heat. Like, you know, yeah, a couple of results here and there, but I was just... I wanted it too hard and I just tensed up, you know, even in my free surfs, I'd, I'd feel like I was surfing amazing. I had good boards. I got on the QS and I, I just went backwards. It changed my surfing and it kind of drove me insane. Um, you know, you'd fly from Australia and you'd be in Europe and you'd do like a whole Euro leg and you'd make two heats and you were surfing crappy little waves and it really broke me. And I was just so frustrated by you know, like trying to surf, trying to progress as a surfer, but somewhat being forced to surf worse or surf to a criteria. And then I'm not saying that guys that qualify aren't good surfers because every single guy on tour or who is qualified has earned that. Like some people bag on some guys, oh, he's just a small wave ripper. And like, no, good for him. Like, you know, I think it's easier to progress in barrels and things like that than it is to be a good barrel rider and go backwards and surf small waves. So Yeah, and when you're watching people on the webcast, you're seeing all amazing surfers. So yep. someone can look not that like they're not that great of a surfer, but then if you saw the worst surfer on tour go surf your local break and stack them up against any local exactly, pro, yeah. the velocity with which they surf the wave will be highly noted exactly nail on the head but um so yeah and then I was just frustrated I wanted to do so like I was extremely frustrated and you can sit in the sit in the bar or go home and go oh the QS sucks and you know the waves are crappy which is kind of like what I just said that's the truth but you chose to do it you want to get on tour that's what it takes that's the grind and that's why they call it the grind because it's tough you know it's mentally tough it's I'm not going to say it's physically demanding because surfing isn't like what we spoke about with triathlon but 
you know, it, it can really put you in a bad place and yeah, make and you... You're, and you're changing time zones and you're constantly traveling and you're not always at your physical peak. So that can be grinding even if the um, physical effort of surfing a heat isn't very demanding. Exactly. And uh, even little things like it's the golden years, right? Like when you're in your early 20s, it's like that's when you want to party. That's when you want to go get the girls. And when you're going overseas a lot, you're missing birthday parties and... Yeah, okay, people are probably sitting there saying, like, how silly is this guy? Look at his job. He gets to go to France and, um, you know, go to all these great countries, and it's 100% true. But at the same time, when you're doing it day in, day out, you do get very drained, and that's mentally as well. Um, so I was really looking for a sport that was first over the line. I wanted to take out my frustration on doing something that was positive. And I've always enjoyed running. I was never a runner. Like when I was on the QS, I wasn't wasn't that fit at all. Um, and then I just started training, and I was getting so much satisfaction from going out the door. And in 90 minutes, or however long the session was, coming home, 100% satisfied. And living and growing up on the Gold Coast, you know, we my home breaks like Snapper Rocks, Burley Heads, all of these waves. And you would you would go for a surf, and I'd come in angry. And it's just frustrating because, you know, the crowds are just crazy. And I, I was like, why didn't I just go for a run, you know, and just completely belt myself, walk through the door, you know, beating your chest, thinking you're Superman. And then it just naturally progressed. You know, I started swimming and then a buddy gave me a helmet and he said, if I give you this helmet, you have to commit. I want you to do a race. And when I got that helmet, that was like this, you know, this this contract that I signed that I was going to take it seriously. A biking helmet. A biking helmet. Sorry. Yeah. Not a gath helmet. I wore one of those when I was a grom too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and when he gave me that helmet, I was like, all right, I want to I want to ride. And I would ride, you know, three, four, five hours. And it just really blew me away how far you could travel by bike. And for me, it was just this beautiful place where I could go and get away from society, ride through the hills, climb a mountain, experience sunrises, sunsets, all while positively expelling all your anger or your frustration and it just I, I turned into a better person I was happier you know I was glowing the the physical results were good you know you you dropped weight and when someone compliments you on your physique you know it, it feels good so there's all these positive reinforcements coming through whereas in surfing okay you get a photo on a mag or you know you get a, a shot or like an okay result like a quarter final in a six star or whatever it wasn't nearly as satisfying as going out Wednesday morning and doing a hard one-hour run. So I just waited up, and it's like I've been on this, been on this quest to just be happier, to be calmer, to be softer. And I found with surfing back then, I just wasn't. I was, I was sharp. Everything was abrupt, and I was angry. And you know, you can paddle out snapper, and if you want to be an asshole, I could get every wave. Because you, you can out paddle everyone, you can snake them, you can hassle them. And then, but it just, what comes along with that is arguments, dinged boards, um, bad vibes in general. Or you can go out there and do the right thing and you're the guy not even catching a wave at your home break. So nice guys finish last. Exactly, nice guys finish last. So I don't know, it just, it just felt right. It felt good. So I just followed that feeling. 
Yeah. Also being a surfer for your whole life, the improvements that you're making in your twenties are so incremental Mm -hmm. compared to picking up something like, uh, biking or swimming or running where you, you get to see these massive improvements on a week to week basis, which is really satisfying. Yeah. I think, I think you plateau in everything you do in life, you know, you plateau. So you nearly need to take a step backward. And for me, my step backward backwards was a real step forwards in where I was trying to go mentally, you know, just create a a better me essentially. When did you decide to do your first triathlon? Uh, Well, (laughs) that's another great story. My first triathlon, so I got in triathlon because I wanted something that was fair, right? Like it, it did bum me out that sometimes you'd be in Spain and not even catch a wave or you get one wave, a nine and lose needing a one or something. So I was like, you know, the best guys always do win. Like, look at Fanny, look at Andy, look at Kelly. So the best guys win, but there are times where you're super unlucky. And that's just a fact of surfing. Everyone can attest to that. So I wanted to do a triathlon because I've trained hard. It's the first over the line. This is just a pure, fair sport. First race, had a good swim, got into the transition. I was on this crappy old bike that my buddy lent me. It wasn't a, like a fancy carbon time trial bike. It was just this crappy old road bike. Got into transition, was running the bike out of transition in like one of the top spots for my age group. And I just hear this bang, flat tire. Cause I guess like, I guess the bike was just so old that like, you know, the inner tubes were worn and I pumped them up to like, you know, um, a race, uh, the, the right pressure for a race and it popped the tube as I like ran it out. So here I am trying to do a sport that's this is fair, great thing. I've trained my butt off. I'm going to win this race because, you know, there's no one who no one out there who trained harder than me and I didn't even get to jump on the bike because I had, you know, I had flat tire. And then um, for a race, you rarely take spares, especially for a short course race. So what is a triathlon uh, race? What, um, what's the distance? Olympic distance is... Um, the one that they, they run in the Olympics, which is a 1.5 kilometer swim. You'll have to forgive me for not being able to work out the That's mileage. Um, 1.5 kilometer swim, a 40K bike and a 10K run. So that was the distance of my first race. But what I compete in now is the half Ironman or the full Ironman. So the full Ironman is a, I know this because you, you say it so much, it's a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike and a full marathon, which is a 26 mile run. So because I got into the sport so late, I didn't have the leg speed or like the, the fast twitch fibers that all the young guys have. You know, I didn't come from a swimming background or, you know, an athletic background whatsoever. Just surfing and, you know, running around the neighborhood playing cricket and football and that sort of thing. So um, I figured the endurance was where I really could get my best gains because a lot of it comes down to your mentality. It comes down to mental, I guess, mental hardness and the more it hurt me, the more I seemed to enjoy it. It's like, you know, I don't go home and cut myself or anything, but I, I enjoy the pain. I, I feel good and I like to, like, what is pain? Seriously, like, why does a back tickle feel good and a punch in the jaw feel bad? And, like, I really, I'm really trying to discover what is pain. Can you switch it off? You know, yeah, like, it's all your relationship to that. Yeah, uh, to that moment. I have a, a friend named Dr. Jim Fadiman who I've had on the podcast, and he talks about. Um, he has this great analogy. He says, "You know, so picture getting a uh, a shot from a doctor. You mm-hmm. sit down, you uh, take a, a deep exhale, you get the shot. There's a little prick." 
It's all good. Now picture yourself walking down the street and someone runs up to you and jabs you in the arm with a needle. Exact same experience, but the context has changed and your uh, reaction is going to be dramatically different. Totally. And I think you can 100% control that. Like, don't get me wrong, like things hurt, but how much do they hurt? And I think in triathlon, if you've trained yourself up to a certain point, you know, everyone hurts. Like you, you run a marathon, everyone's hurting, whether it's the lady who's running next to you, barely moving, whether it's the pro guy, everyone hurts. And that's also one thing that I've told myself in big waves. Like, you know, I'm like, man, I'm never going to be Mark Healy. You know, I'm never going to be able to dive to the bottom of the, the sea floor, you know, like spear a fish, tackle it and come to the surface. I'm like, I'm, I shouldn't even be out here. But then I thought to myself, well, if Healy and I both get caught inside, we're both going to get the same pounding. And let's say, seriously, it's going to be 10 seconds, 15 seconds. If my brain or my, my, my train of thought is going to be stronger than his, he might go underwater and panic. So he might need that lung capacity because he's panicking. Lactic acid starting to form. He might hate that, although we all know Mark doesn't because he's a freak. But I just thought if I can relax and enjoy the experience and really try and think, well, I'm going to come up, especially now with a vest, I'm going to come up eventually. It's the same for Mark, who can hold his breath for five, probably 10 minutes, to me, who can hold it for 30 seconds. So that's kind of my thought process, and I enjoy that challenge of trying to just relax and think, you know, it's fine. Yeah. What did you learn about nutrition when you got into triathlons? Because we were mentioning before how physical fitness as well as nutrition are are two aspects um, that surfers are way behind on comparatively to other athletes definitely um well nutrition is everything you could you can race the fastest guy in the world and if he's cramping or throwing up or has gi issues where he's having to run to the bathroom every every mile or so you're going to beat him so nutrition is equally in my opinion is equally as important as physical fitness um and it depends it's like some most people go okay um vegans a big thing at the moment i have to be a vegan because it's healthy they won't even dive into getting their bloods done like a full blood count to find out what they what their body will accept and what it what it doesn't like to put in them so someone might choose to not eat gluten but then it could be an okay thing for them because they've got a fast metabolism that wants to burn it up um so i i did learn that it's very individual based um, I've tried all the, the crash diets out there and what personally works for me is 80% just basic health. Like if I feel like a, a, a bit of red meat, I'll go and eat it. But just the majority of what you're putting in your body has to be good, clean. If you can buy organic, great. If not, just try and wash your vegetables and do the best you can to get all the, you know, the pesticides all the, off, all the pesticides and the chemicals. Cause it's, that's true. They're there and they are bad for you, but um, there's also, I think, you know, this is like, you could dive really deep into it. This whole, it's, it's a lot of it's marketing, right? A lot of these organic companies want to make money because it's not cheap. And again, because the shelf life, blah, 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 but it doesn't have to be organic. It doesn't have to be this crazy. Cause I think, see, there's so much running through my brain and right now that I try and tell people it's actually hard to spit out just one thing. You don't have to go 100%. You just need to be somewhat healthy over a long period of time that's much more sustainable than going vegan for two weeks cracking it going out drinking and getting in and out the next day and things like that so 
Yeah, the diet that you're going to follow. The yeah. diet that you're going to stick with. Something and, that works. And also not beating yourself up. I think that that can have... Uh, deleterious effects when you make a commitment and then don't stick with that commitment because you've set the bar too high. Exactly. So if I'm going to say I'm going hundred percent vegan and then I go on a trip down to Puerto Escondido and all they're serving are carne asada tacos, not only did I break my diet, but psychologically I am now the kind of person who doesn't stick to the commitments that I set for myself. Yeah. And you said, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're setting yourself up for a fall. Um, and then, yeah, as you said, the, the mental side of it, they're bummed at themselves, they've failed, and then they're likely to throw in the towel because they've somewhat failed. But with, new, with, um, with triathlon, it's, it's, it sounds weird because it's not that healthy. Like some of the things we have to put in our body to be able to perform, like a ton of sugar. We all know, don't even need to dive into the whole sugar thing. Sugar's not good for you. It's the devil. It's the, de- the devil. Like, you know, if I put like a, a little thing of sugar in my coffee, I get these looks from people, you know, especially here in LA. They're like, what are you doing? You're going to die. I'm like, yeah. but I can, no. Yeah. You know, I, I can afford to eat, friends pretty much eat friends what I want. Eat sugar. Yeah, exactly. That'd be a good bumper sticker. Um, but it's fuel. You're putting rocket fuel in your body to perform. So it's like sports gels. You know, Gatorade has... It's nearly one of the worst things you can put in your body. But it's a necessary evil to be able to perform. So what I try and do when I'm training, if I've dialed in my race nutrition, is try and get my calories because you need to, depending on sessions, but a ballpark figure is 300 calories per hour. And even your body isn't going to ingest all of those calories because of your different ways of burning things. Some people are sugar burners, depending on your heart rate zones. Some people are fat burners, um, which is like the ketogenic diet, um, high fat, low carb, that sort of thing. Um, But how I eat in training is very different to how I'm eating just before a race. So like just before a race, I'll drop out the fiber because that that can bring on GI issues in the race, and especially if you're racing in the heat. But it's this never-ending search for what is the perfect race nutrition, what is the perfect diet. Um, but f- from what I've found, it's just eat healthy. If it's you know if it's got a lot of colours, it's good for you. Like broccoli, a lot of vitamin C. So you know, like a perfect day for me eating would be coffee in the morning because I love coffee. It, it's, it, I just love it. It's one thing I'll probably never give up. Coffee makes me poop. Yeah, and exactly. It's a good thing. Better out than in. Um, and then I'll head out on the bike and then I'll try and eat while on the bike. Like I'll have a banana, drink a lot of water, um, have an electrolyte mix, something very high in sodium. Um, another thing people freak out on is how much salt I use. Like I'll put a lot of salt on my meals and not like the, the white bleach stuff that you get out of like, you know, that's in like the restaurants and whatnot. Like sometimes I'll, I'll be known to take my own salt with me, like pink rock salt or Himalayan salt because sodium and magnesium and all those things, we're constantly sweating out that stuff. So we really need to put that back into our systems to be hydrated. Cause if you're not hydrated, you're pretty much wasting your time. I know so many people that are paleo, vegan, um, vegetarian. I'm like, how much water do you drink? And they're like, Oh, I can't remember. Um, I had a glass yesterday. I'm like, if you're not hydrated, you're wasting your time. So simple things like that. You have to be very hydrated. And in training, we're constantly running at a deficiency. So it's about trying to put enough in to not go over to the point where literally you can't just drink two gallons of water because you're going to vomit it back up. So it's about testing 
and trial and error in training what you can put in and absorb to what's going to just come out of anywhere it can you know back door front door yeah cramping has been a huge issue for me the most frightened i've ever been in the water Mm -hmm. um has been at mavericks where i fell on a wave and got sucked under and like half cramped up yep happens all the time and for people who haven't had that happen to you it feels like it's as debilitating as a broken leg Mm -hmm. because you can't move it and it's just locked up locked up and then in the past, I've had to paddle over the channel and uh, massage it out. And even after that, my um, the potential for it to cramp up again. It's going to come back. It, it, yeah, it greatly increases. You really have to nip that one in the bud and you need to think days out. And that's what I've been doing. Like, say, I know there's going to be a swell. I will somewhat carb load as if I would be for a race. Like I'll get a lot of carbs in, um, again, try and like lose the fiber so I don't have to poo in my wetsuit when I'm out at Mavericks because that would just be a nightmare. I will hydrate very strategically. Like I'll ha- I won't drink a ton of water. So, and that's the other thing, guys try and drink too much water and they flush their system. It's a, essentially is what you're doing. You're flushing all the minerals out by drinking too much water. So it's about putting content of sodium magnesium electrolyte into the drinks that you're drinking and so i drink a liter of water for every 22 kilos of body weight so i try and drink three liters a day or three and a half to four liters but that inside of that has like again all the minerals that my body is going to absorb um going back to cramping i had Jamie was cramping at Mavs this year. Luca was cramping out at Mavs this year. Um, Hippo was cramping in the final over in um, over at Jaws. Um, so I really like, in a way, I kind of don't want to tell anyone about it because I, I, I do think it's a huge ace up my sleeve. But at the end of the day, I want to help the sport evolve and help the sport grow. And all of those three guys are my buddies. So Jamie knows you know everything there is to know about nutrition. So... Um, But, you know, when you're getting the late night flight over from Hawaii, sometimes there's certain things you can and can't control. Um, Whereas Luca, he's a young kid. He's got a lot to learn um, about nutrition, I think, also with training. And I can only see positive things coming from him because he lives at Mavs. He charges. He's like, I call him the man child. He's 16 or 15 and he's well-spoken. He's polite. He's just got it all right there. So he's kind of one kid that I really want to take under my wing and just anything that I know I'm like buddy just ask me questions yeah it feels good to help people who are going to heed your advice yeah um like you know there's I won't mention their names but there's been guys on the on the tour who have briefly asked me about nutrition and I've told them and then I'll go back and ask oh did you do it and they're like oh no I didn't bother or like because now they're really after the best wave so they might surf four 30 minute heats in a day on finals day if they're crammed for time and that like you don't just like sip a water bottle when you're doing that you you should be taking sports gels you should be just snacking so you're feeling light but energetic um you know and you see guys having pastas in between heats and that and i just couldn't think of anything worse yeah so one big difference between um surfing big waves and triathlons is in a triathlon or training up to a triathlon, you know the date that the event is going to happen. Yep. So you can get yourself into a camp and then relax after the fact. Whereas surfing, you really don't know until maybe a week out yeah. um, when that swell is going to hap- happen. So how do you 
differentiate training for like as you said it's good to be in in decent shape and make healthy choices um training for big wave surfing but when you are leading up to a triathlon what does that look like uh well pretty much all year round like i my all not just myself all triathletes when you're not training you're training you know what i mean it's like it's a lifestyle and you really have to adapt that you swim bike and run that's what you do every day that just swim bike run massage eat sleep drink that's it um so leading into a race, I'll always have like a base level of fitness. So I'll be strong and ready to train. So for an Ironman, I'll try and do like a 12-week training block. And then you're slowly building the miles. Um, and then after you've got like a high, like a lot of miles in the tank, you're ready to drop the miles out and add the intensity. So when you're adding the intensity in there, that's when I change my diet as well because your body when you're doing all the the long slow easy grinds in the hills your heart rate generally isn't going that high so i'll stick to a lot of fats um try and use my fats as fuel because you're also dropping a lot of weight and then when i'm coming closer to a race i'll start you know having more sugar in my diet and things like that but when i went now that i've got surfing in mind and i really want to try and you know go take it as far as i can coming into winter that's when i'll start to doing the hypoxic stuff in the pool or just those months where you know there's going to be swells i'll adapt my training like i started doing a little bit more weights because triathletes are skinny and your goal is to be as skinny as possible because it's a power to weight ratio sport you don't want to you know if you put a glass of water in your hand and you carry that around for nine hours that is going to take a lot of energy by the end of the day so you need to be as small as possible but as strong as possible and efficient as possible. Whereas surfing, you're surfing a 30-minute heat. Finals, maybe on the big wave tour, are 45 minutes, or at Nazare, they might be an hour. So, And you need to be strong. Um, I've put on a little bit more muscle mass. I've done a lot more work in the gym, um, built up my shoulders, the things that generally get ripped and torn, and um, started doing a lot of like little work around my knees and just getting a little bit more flexible. What is a shoulder workout look like? Uh, That's another very consistent injury for surfers. Just a lot of paddles in the pool. Um, paddles are these, it's like a, it's like a focus pad somewhat. If you're boxing, like, you know, the, the mitts, it's pretty much like strapping a dinner plate to your hand. So you're pulling a lot more water using a lot more of the bigger muscles, a lot more lats, a lot more of the delts, um, and just everything around the shoulder. So I'll, I'll do way more pa- paddle work. Um, and just basic stuff in the gym, you know, a lot of band work and it doesn't have to be big weights again, because I'm all always, I think efficiency is better. I'm not trying to bulk, so to speak. I'm just trying to get lean muscle mass. So that's high repetition, low, low weight, things like that. So, um, my body has changed definitely within the past 18 months. So a little bit more of a surfer body. Um, like I'm what you call a fat triathlete. It's crazy because these guys have <laughs> veins on veins in their stomach and you know like sometimes i'll be like oh i'm not taking my shirt off because i've got this whole you know i'm very (laughs) self-conscious of my body you do like it's crazy like i spend more time like getting ready to like even ride my bike with ocd because i'm so self body self-conscious like you know if i'm color matching i'm streamlined i'm fast it feels good and like all these crazy little things wow yeah it's weird well yeah i mean it's it's attention to detail and that is what has allowed you to cross over and get good at 
um, another sport later in life. It, like I can tell you are um, a tactician about the what you learn, what you put in your body, and and you're a gamer. Yeah, it's and, and I, that's what I enjoy. Like I taking it back to like I, I don't race triathlon. I'm I'm never going to win Kona, which is the world world championships for long course triathlon. I'm never going to win it. And people are like, oh, that's negative. Shoot for the stars. And I'm not doing it to be on the podium like don't get me wrong when that gun goes off I will do whatever it takes to get there and if there is a two or a three or a one next to my name at the end of the day that's great but I'm doing it because I love the experiment I like I love learning about my body like if I go out for a session and I fail the session I'm not bummed I'm stoked I know that's what I'm not ready to do yet if I try a diet like I went uh, fully ketogenic it didn't work for me because I was training it over in Thailand at the time using going into like high heart rate zones where you're burning sugars and burning carbs and things like that um but it's just this crazy life experiment like how fast can you go how lean can you get but how strong can you get and then in surfing it's like you know like i've been just obsessed about looking at the left at mavs like what is possible out there because in 10 years guys are going to be doing it so i'm starting to think okay how can we do it now what can we do the craft we ride um and it's just life you know it's this giant puzzle and i love the learning process you know even the failures as i said it's like it's cool to me have you ever have you always had that relationship with failure or have you ever had any big setbacks where you're forced to pause and reflect on your relationship with learning massively um all the time um doing sport from a very young age you know you you just you can't win everything you fail a lot but the biggest thing that happened to me i i went to jail I, when i was at the height of my career i was sent to jail i was in jail i got sentenced to 18 months in maximum security suspended after six for wow. a fight that broke out how old are you i was 20 at the time i think the trial you know the whole court case went for went for years my lawyers said you know just go away do the do your surfing we'll look after it um and then six weeks before the trial, they dropped me. They said, we don't think you're going to win the case. My girlfriend's dad at the time picked up the case. He was doing quite well financially, hired the best um, law firm on the Gold Coast or possibly best criminal lawyers in Australia. They went to bat for me the whole time. They're like, this is a joke. I can't believe this is going to court. So long story short, I was at a friend's birthday party. A um, bunch of guys crashed the birthday party. Um, a fight broke out upstairs, which I was involved in. These guys were like pinching little, you know, it was like a family party, like pinching girls on the butt and like going to the bar and knocking things over and kicked a hole in the wall. And we kind of went over and like, hey boys, what, what do you think you're doing? And, you know, at that age, words got exchanged and a fight broke out. Somehow I beat this guy in a fight upstairs. He was much bigger than me and must have just landed a wild punch with my eyes closed or something like that because I somehow, somehow got the guy. Um, they all got kicked out by the security and party went on for a couple more hours. It was just a scuffle on the dance floor, broken up. As I was leaving the party, these guys went and got their boys, came back, were waiting for us. Came downstairs and it was just on. My buddies were like in the fight. This was actually uh, Ryan Hipwood's brother, Troy, his 21st birthday party. And then um, it was just crazy. And all I can remember is just these dull thuds of getting kicked in the head and like had my arms over my head and I just remember like this is bad here I'm copying these huge numbing blows to the head and I look over and I just see something shining I pick it up and it was 
you know, a broken bottle, pick it up, close my eyes, wave it around as far as I can. I think it got him like two or three times in the neck and once in the shoulder and there was a, there was a wound in his back. Um, and I just remember looking at this guy and just seeing like a, a slab of meat fall off this guy's head. And I'm just like, what just happened? You know, I just could not believe what I just saw and then looked down and what was in my hand. And then they ran off in one direction. I ran off in the other direction. Um, he actually rang me the next day and was like, look, man, what just happened? The guy who I was in the fight with, what just happened? And I was like, I don't know. I just remember coming downstairs, getting booted in the head and then looking at your neck and that's what happened. And then um, he wanted to meet me and talk about the thing after he got out of hospital and whatnot. Um, wanted to meet me and I was like, there's no way this is a setup. And, you know, these guys were heavy dudes. Like, I'll save the part of who they were for the end of the story. Um, I thought I was getting booby trapped. I seeked uh, legal advice at the time. They're like, absolutely not. You don't go anywhere. If they want to meet you, they can come into the lawyer's office and we can talk about things there, settle it out of court, whatever. Because he admitted to starting the fight. He admitted to the downstairs part, all of that stuff on the phone. And I was like, look, buddy, I'm like, I'm essentially, yeah, I'm really, really sorry about what happened. But in that moment of terror, it's like, what do you do? Like, if I looked over and there was a sponge on the ground or like, you know, like a, a, a towel, I would have picked that up. But it happened to be a broken bottle. You know, and I'm not a violent person. Those who know me can attest for that. You know, like when I was a kid, you know, everyone gets in a scuffle or, you know, I was a little smart ass out in the water, but I was never a fighter, any of that stuff. And then, uh, and then so after about 18 months, I was charged by the police um, for unlawful wounding, which is a very, very serious charge. It's essentially walking up to someone and stabbing them. It's a very serious charge. And so back to what I was saying earlier, the, the law firm that I had six weeks before the trial, we're out. We don't think you're going to win. I think it was the lawyer's first criminal case back after some time off. He wanted his record to look good. He didn't think he was going to win. The other law firm I went to, brilliant. They were like, this is ridiculous. We'll, we'll crush this. So went to trial, three weeks in trial, sitting in the dock, being called names that you just never, ever think that would be, you know, a police prosecutor, his job is to just make you look bad. And knowing you're a good person and being in the public eye, and there was media in there, it was at the height of my surfing career, like every day it was either like front or back page of the newspaper, it was on the on the news, like the TV in the evening, and I just like, they make you believe you're this horrible person, and like you deep down you know you're not, but to sit in a courtroom and have some intelligent guy just tee off on you and say things that just trying to convince a jury that you're a bad person, it was heavy. And then, uh, so anyway, was found it was what they call a special verdict i was found guilty of the charge of the wound in the back because that was the only thing that they couldn't prove exactly how that wound got there they said that a, a wound mark to the back is excessive self-defense if you're defending yourself and he made up a story i chased him down the beach and lunged at him and all this sort of stuff which obviously didn't happen because you don't, you know, see someone's neck fold open and then chase them down the beach. I'm guessing he had the wound from rolling around the ground. Still don't know. Um, and then, so the, the wounds in the neck were self-defense. I was acting within the law to defend myself out of the situation. So that was proven in court that I was getting kicked in the head. I had to defend myself. Um, 
but somewhere within that five or ten second fight i crossed an imaginary line to doing something highly illegal which is the wound in the back which <laughs> did not happen yeah i like put my hand up said yes everything the net that it happened like i was the guy who did it. i'm not denying anything it's i just told the story and then um sentenced to 18 months uh, maximum security jail because it's a violent charge you don't go to a farm and pick berries off trees or anything you're like you know you're locked up for most of the day and at the height of your surfing career going from traveling around the world being you know a blonde haired little pro surfer kid to getting um six months in jail it just i lost faith of society i lost the the system's a joke i started to believe in conspiracies how did this happen to me like we all know bad people you know you pal out in the surf and you know three guys who should probably be in jail Yet there I was in jail for one thing that just spiraled out of control and something that, okay, I regret going to the party, I, but I have no regrets for defending myself. Hypothetically, if you and I walked out of this room and got jumped by a bunch of guys, what would you do? Would you fight back if you, if you couldn't run and you, like, you couldn't get up and go anywhere? It's like if I had a family and that happened to me, I'd want them to defend themselves simple as that and it's horrible that what happened and the way i had to defend myself but as i said if it was a sponge on the ground i would have picked that up and thrown it at him you know but so yeah that was that was again why i wanted to do something pure and honest of triathlon what was the what was it like for you to get the verdict oh it was, was it in uh, the courtroom when they yeah it was told in, you that you were sentenced to 18 months in prison yeah just like the movies i was in the dock um family girlfriend at the time media friends everyone was like oh and like what was oh, all this commotion and um reporters writing things and just like that they put my hands behind my back didn't handcuff me at the time there's a door behind the dock they took me through this door and that's technically the start of jail it's like not padded walls it's like steel four walls very small little area it's like a double a huge refrigerator you're sitting in and then my lawyers instantly said okay Clint this is going to happen there's nothing we can do you're going to jail this is a time to be strong to be a man you need to you know breathe deeply you're going to jail and not just jail, like, you know, I know that in America here they say jail's like the lockup you get thrown into for, like, peeing in the street. <laughs> I'm going to prison. <laughs> and I just, I, it was shock. I'm like, okay, you know, I got this, you know, like, whatever. And, and then you break down. You bawl your eyes out. And then they're like, look, you've got to check that. You can't be going because you're going downstairs into the lockup, like the holding area. You walk in there, blonde head surfer kid in a suit, bawling your eyes out. And it's going to turn into the movies, you know. You're going to be the guy, you know, holding someone's hand or holding onto someone's pocket. You just, you got to man up and man up real quick. So, um... Were st- you able to? Yeah. Like, I, 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 I was able to put on, like, a game face. Um, I was petrified, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I was the most scared I've ever been, hands down. I remember when they put me in um, into issued clothing or these, these like brown tracksuits or whatnot they said all right when you go in there with them and i was like what in there the cell with them they're like don't mention your name don't say what you're in for don't, don't just you know just make something up push they open the door they push you in 10 guys run up to me it's a holding cell it's it's this tiny little area where everyone's waiting to get 
sent off to different jails while the paperwork's going through. Some of the people were in um, for like uh, like like that's the jail that you go to where people might get thrown in for the night. So this is the holding cell. So I was in there for seven, eight days and seven nights and it's underground. There's no light. There's a TV. But when they threw me in there, everyone runs up to you. You got cigarettes, you got drugs. What do you got? Because I guess what I learned very quickly when you get pinched, locked up, arrested, you stash your drugs, whether it's wherever you could imagine you want to stash drugs. And I said, no, I don't smoke. You know, I don't have any drugs. And automatically it's like, whoa, it's on 10 people coming up to you. You got bikey guys. You've got like skinny clucking guys coming off drugs. You've got, you know, heavy looking dudes. You've got, you know, maybe a normal looking guy who was a lawyer who got done for whatever, or, you know, an accountant or something. You've just got this crazy mix of people just, you know, it's just like this sensory overload of like, okay, how do I play this? And they all start asking questions. What are you in for? What's your name? I said, oh, I made up a name like Trent or something. I said, oh, Trent, what have you done? Oh, I just won too many fights. And, you know, you try and talk like them. Yeah, oh, you know, yeah, just it's all good. You know, a couple of fights, whatever. We're laying there. There's this tiny little TV that night. 20-year-old or 21-year-old professional surfer Clinton Philip Kimmons has been sentenced for unlawful wounding of the oyster farmer Drew Bagley, who's this, who's the brother of... Um, Olympic silver medal kayak rower um, Nathan Bagley and it's on everyone just looks at me like that's you they did the left to the right to the screen that's you and then this one guy I remember looks over at me and gave me like this wink and he was like a big heavy dude and he gave me this wink it's like you're right don't worry I can tell you're just a, a kid that's scared but your paranoia kicks in I'm like he gave me a wink this guy wants me <laughs> you're like that's yeah. the thing you just you don't know like it turned out that the guy was super cool. He like helped me, like he armed me with things of what to do inside and, you know, said, this is what you got to do, blah, blah, blah. Um, but that, you know, <laughs> that's just like, are you kidding? Like this is happening to me. I remember throwing up that night, like you sleep, there's no beds in there. You sleep on the floor. Um, you get this like tiny little disgusting blanket. There's blood on the walls. Guys were scraping the paint off the walls with their fingernails, rolling up the toilet paper with the paint off the walls into the cardboard of the toilet roll to smoke so that's the that's the stench in this tiny room with 10 scary dudes and on this you know the week before i was probably in france on the beach doing the qs like, fuck i needed a 4.5 i couldn't get it yeah, <laughs> yeah so <laughs> now when i'm wow. as i said to you earlier when i'm stuck in traffic i'm like huh i'm turning the ac up i'm listening to the radio or when i'm going over the falls at mavs i'm like Pfft. I care I don't give it like, I don't care you know it's like and that's what I think you can turn every negative and then you know it's a cliche and when everyone says it but every negative thing that's happened to you and I think the the more negative it is you can turn that into the opposite the highest of positives and it doesn't get worse than that you know like um I've lost you know close friends to suicide things like that but what can that's out of your control you know it's like everyone grieves and of a loss of a loved one but getting sent to jail at the height of your career is i don't know like there's some that's pretty gnarly was there a um mental transition for you through those so you, you were sentenced to 18 months how long did you serve i was suspended i was um sentenced to 18 months suspended after six which means if nothing happened in there 
like I'm a good boy and that's the thing they start talking to you like if you're a good boy I'm like what do you mean I am a good boy <laughs> you get out after six months so I was released after six months but that whole time like there was times where there were fights broke out and I wrestled a guy in there but if I punched this guy or if I knocked him out or, and defended myself again it's like well I'm gonna have to do another 12 months so I lost faith in like what can and can't I do because it's going to sound weird. Like in my eyes, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, okay, I hurt someone with a bottle and that's wrong. That is a bad, bad thing. I wish upon no one. That's horrible. But at the time, it's like, well, what do you do? You yeah, know, you're, you're seeking that out. It was no, situational. You're backed in a corner and you do what you have to do to get out of it. It's it's instinct. It's You don't think about it. But um, But now I'm like, you know, like if someone yells at me in the street, I just turn around and run. And I was like, no, man, you should have told that guy to beat it or whatever. I'm just like, oh, I'm just so scared of the consequences of doing, again, not the right thing, but what's natural or what's in comes along with instinct. So I'm, I'm paranoid about it. Like, a, And I've only just been like, that was what, 10 plus years ago. I'm only really starting to learn about the mental effects that it had on me for the past 10 years. Like I thought, ah, oh, no, I'm fine. I got out and um, got back on the QS, got picked up by Red Bull. You know, no one cares. Everyone's like not forgiven me, but they've accepted me back and it's, everything's fine. But, you know, the way that I acted over those 10 years is not the real me. I was paranoid. I was scared. I wasn't myself. I was very um, self-demanding. Like I was trying to pay it back to myself. I had a lot of failed relationships because I was just, trying to be better I was trying to be the best trying to be just you know the best me I could be because I don't subconsciously I think I I was trying to pay back a debt to myself but you know like I know it was like I like the judge said it in his summary I stepped I fell into a crack that 99.9% of people walk over on a daily basis you fell into the crack it's a tragedy this that no I don't want to sit here and play a violin because you know there's there's just no point in it it's wasted energy but um do you think that in the time that you spent in prison your mental your mentality shifted in any way or do you was it more of a just okay let's get through this grind it out day by day was there any point when you kind of lost the plot like you have one theme that I've noticed about you is that you do have an intensely personal relationship with yourself and you get yourself into situations that are lonely where you need to generate positive self-talk it is it is necessary for you to be a friend of yourself in those situations yeah and that's that's you again you nailed it on the head because that's what I think I learned about myself in there you've only got yourself and like I had a huge support team on the outside the surfing community got behind me my girlfriend at the time was an absolute angel her family everyone was there but you know when those when the when the cell shuts you're there it's you (laughs) yep no one's coming to save you it's you you have to every day is like survival like it's it's really 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 hardcore so that definitely changed the way I was 100% and then uh yeah there's just so many deep layers you can go into it but yeah recently I'm really discovering why because you know I spend a lot of time alone when I'm out on the bike I'll be training six sometimes eight hours a day by myself I'm in my own headspace when I go up to Mavs I drive up there by myself you know I like I like being by myself I like 
being in my own head and being able to make decisions because even though it was six months, which is you're considered a backpacker in jail, they're like, oh, you're a backpacker, you'll be out of here because guys are doing life. Guys are doing 10 years, bricks and all these sort of things. But I just, I'm trying to learn about myself, you know, it's this ever, ever evolving self-expansion, you know, I'm just trying to, it, and I still think that I'm trying to pay it back somehow to myself. Although I know I didn't do the wrong thing. And if the same situation happened and if I was in that situation, I'd do the, exactly the same thing. So, um, I don't know, a, a, a small thing of karma that I got, like a small sign that, not that I did the, you know, whatever, but the day that I was released, the guy who I had the fight with got sent to jail for 10 years. He was involved in one of the biggest um, ecstasy pill manufacturing syndicates in like you know federal government history or something like that in australia and the whole time i I knew what he was doing but i thought i'm like i'm not a rat i'm not going to tell on anyone because i didn't think it would have changed my case whatsoever but as it turns out actually my i was wondering why the um the detective who was in charge of the case like this is a guy who charged me was super cool the whole time he was really really nice to me he's like that was a good day clint things are looking good it's looking very positive. I was like, this is the guy who just charged me with the crime. Like, why is this guy being cool? Turns out the federal police had those guys' phones tapped, but they couldn't bring this evidence out in court because it would blow the huge federal investigation against one of the biggest drug rackets in the country. So everything he said on the phone, like he apologized for starting the fight. He apologized for the way it happened, would have... I would have got off scot-free, self-defense all day long. But, you know, yeah, I can't stew on that anymore. And like, yeah, everyone's like, oh, you should go back and, you know, spend 30 grand and get your conviction quashed and this sort of thing. But um, I'm where I want to be now. I'm doing the things I want to do. And, you know, who knows? Maybe I would have just been a QS warrior for a bunch of years and hit the bottle after you know and just gone and <laughs> sure whatever. makes for a better podcast yeah <laughs> so it's like yeah i bet you didn't expect the jail story to come out um so we are doing this episode in the united states of america in this country we have four percent of the world's population 25 percent of the world's prisoners whoa and hope we got some listeners out there this will be a hit <laughs> and the prison industrial complex um is a dark corner of society that we many times choose not to look at because it's so big and so intense and we're not forced to confront it until we have a friend go to jail or we go to jail ourselves. Um, given your experience going to prison, do you have any thoughts on the system as a whole? Um, how it can change ways that we can, relate to people who have gone to prison differently like what are steps you think that we can take as a society that's a good question and actually a hard one to answer because what you said about the way to treat people that either are in prison or have been to prison you just never know like someone could have been set up they could have been taking the fall for somebody so their family could be safe they could have acted in self-defense some people just need to be walked off a cliff and they're never they're never going to be rehabilitated they're just career criminals that are bad people there's 
no forgiving what they've done and there's no rehabilitation. There are just some bad people and there are people out there as well who just don't deserve to be in there and don't and shouldn't be in there. But you just can't judge a book by its cover. I remember what I was reading in the newspapers about me. If you didn't know me, you that's he's a bad kid. You know, what a little punk pro surfer goes to a party and stabs someone. How bad does that sound? And that would be a headline without knowing any of the facts. You just never know the background of someone's story. Um, another example, I was getting a haircut because I didn't get a haircut for the six months I was in there. Got a haircut at a really nice salon the day after or even the afternoon I got out or something. And she was like, oh, how's your weekend or how's your day been or how's your week been? And imagine I told her I just got out of federal prison. Like I just got released. This morning I was in maximum security prison. You just don't know. And that's really made me soften up to people like you don't know their story that guy over there I'm not going to judge him because you don't know what he's been through to get there some people are quick to judge in the water you're a kook you shouldn't be out here a kid might have a week to live and his goal is to sit in the sit out in the channel at Mavs and watch some waves you just don't know why people are doing the things that they're doing so it's really made me soften to people um and just, I, I want to get to know people. Like, I love communicating and like, hey, man, like, people ask questions about me. And I'm like, no, where are you from? What do you do? Like, like, how did you eventuate to come in? Most people have such cool stories. Like, you're, you're very fortunate and talented. And, like, you deserve to be doing what you're doing with these podcasts. It's insane just to open people up and just talk, learn more about people. Because that is just such a cool thing. Yeah, I think that we need more empathy in the world exactly in 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 one word empathy 100 percent. yeah I, you just I, don't know you don't know <laughs> and everyone is fighting a battle that you know nothing about yeah and i think that if nothing else that's what podcasts can give people totally. you know, a seat at the table um in a room that they would most likely never be in otherwise exactly i think that's a beautiful thing yeah Totally. Um, and you don't know how people grieve. Some people will go out and party and that's the bad thing about social media. It's like, you know, I have a very close friend right now who's dying of cancer. His daughter is going out and partying. That's her way to deal with it. And photos come up over on the internet and they're like, people are like, oh, your dad's, you know, in a bad way, but yet there you are looking all like, that's her way of dealing with it. Let her do how she's not harming anyone people deal with things in different ways some people shut down some people go out you just you don't know yeah and either you're deepening into your relationship with yourself or you're distracting yourself it's one or the other it's like you can't you can't say oh that just doesn't matter to me i'm fine i'm all good it's like no you we all have experiences in life and we all deal with them differently and that's i think largely why i love not only just surfing big waves, but being around other people who surf yep. big waves, because I find that most people like yourself have this kind of like, like uh, proclivity towards pushing back and then moving through the layers of themselves. And I can tell you have a genuinely curious relationship with yourself. You want to see you're, you're trying to find out how far you can go. Totally. And it's pure. It's honest. That's what I love about big waves. I love. I remember when I was a kid, I was 14, I was out sunset and I had like a 15 footer or 12 footer land on my head. I was like, no one's coming to save me. 
You could know the queen. You could be, you know, whatever. No you could have a million Instagram followers. Yeah, you could. You totally. You could, <laughs> it doesn't matter. That thing's going to land on your noggin, and you have got to man up and take that on board. And that's what I love about the purity of big waves. Like I'm not highly religious or anything, but if if there if I were to have religion, it'd be my own little thing. It's called the truest truths. Just purity. Just and that's what to me big waves is. You know, you can choose to sit there and, you know, wait for the set. And if you get caught on side, caught inside, that's on you. If you fall, that's on you. It's just so pure. I just love the purity of it, you know, and dealing with Mother Nature and all the things, you know, you can get all spiritual and hippie about it, which I'm totally into, but won't won't dive into it too deep here. But it's just, it's beautiful. It's, it's you versus Mother Nature. It's, when did you start surfing Mavericks? This is my first year. I've watched. You've really committed to it. Yeah, been there every swell that I've seen. Every time it's broken, I've I've been there except for the biggest, <laughs> maybe the best day of the year. But um, um, growing up, I was infatuated by you know Waimea Bay when guys first started surfing Mavericks and like one my favorite surfer was Richard Schmidt. You'd know of Richard. He's yep. like he's like when I grew up, I was like this guy's the man. He's just hardcore and like all the guys in the eddy and then you know obviously Jeff what he's done out there and just seeing Mavericks is just I love it. it's dark, creepy, you know, Air Force base, the harbor, the horn, it's dark and cold and misty and it's just it's so cool to me, you know, it's like walking into a haunted house or like watching a scary movie. <laughs> yeah. Whereas why man, yeah, it's scary because it's, you know, it's a heavy wave and whatnot and jaws essentially, but it's beautiful. It's like I want to be really scared. And I think I get that from Mavericks. But um I couldn't I couldn't come back to the States for a good part of ten years because of my criminal conviction. Um I flew into flew into LAX and got sent home because I was trying to enter on the wrong visa that I organized and then I couldn't come back for I think it was like eight or ten years so again subconsciously I think I'm trying to repay it to myself that's why I'm living here in America because I couldn't come for so long so I'm like well I'm back now I'm milking this um and Mavericks is a place that I was denied from, you know, like when I was younger, I surfed Waimea every time it broke and I'd never surfed Jaws because back then guys were only towing it and you need skis and boats and money and this, that and the other. But um, Mavericks is accessible. You can drive up there. I, I don't have a car here in LA. I hire a little car, strap my boards on the roof. I go up there, I'll either sleep in the car or, you know, the uh, Luca and his family have been kind enough to take me in. Jamie's been incredible helping me out with accommodation. Um, you can just paddle out and it's just you don't need a ski you don't need a boat and in a perfect world i would love a safety ski i would love to have 200 300 bucks to pay someone again i was listening to your podcast with pete and that's all very very good points what you guys raised about the safety factor guys just jumping off the beach and he he ha i'm a cowboy but you know i'd like to think i'm not that cowboy i've got I think, you know, the fitness and the skills to get myself out of a lot of situations and I would never expect someone to come in and get me. Guys have and, you know, you buy them a beer at the um, at the OPL in the evening and stuff, but they're all the things like not having a sponsor that you simply can't do. In a perfect world, I'd have a boat, a film crew, a guy on the land, ski, all that sort of stuff. But then again, it's like the circus and I kind of like stripping it back to basics. You just paddle out and surf. That's what you're doing. So what would... Uh great next five years look for you look like for you Ooh, that's something I think about every day and every painful moment when I'm training so it's quite clear um, 
I just want to continue racing triathlon for self-expansion, seeing how fast I get, see where I can take it to, not to get a paycheck at the end of the day or to stand on podiums, but just to push my body to its physical limits. And I think triathlon, there's no sport like it to really get that out of yourself. Um, I really want to be on the big wave world tour and my commitment to this winter has been all about trying to qualify for the big wave world tour. Um, but that, that little formula that I have, I think it's, it's very possible to excel, you know, and I hope that doesn't sound egotistical, whatever, because the guys on tour are, are amazing. But with that formula, I, I really think I could do well on the tour. Um, obviously, I'd like to get a sponsor. I don't have a single sponsor. Everything has either been given to me by friends or paid for. So, you know, I'd love to have sponsors, not to have a bright, you know, shiny Quicksilver sticker on my nose, but to be able to pay safety guys, to be able to have someone shoot you specifically so you get the best content because, you know, in the day and age we live in, content is king. You know, if you you could be a standout of the day and if you don't have a shot to prove it on your Instagram, it never happened and it sucks, but it's true. It's either get with the game or don't even try. So, you know, obviously a sponsor would really help to be able to afford to get to these places. I'd love to go and spend, you know, a month or two in Nazare and tow it and paddle it and just learn, but... You know, for the, the resources I've had, I think I've had a, a good season and I'm, I'm proud of what's happened. But, you know, I just want to be able to continue it and carry it on and get on that tour and essentially win a big wave world title and compete at the highest level of the triathlon sport and just tell my story a little bit more. I'd like to do a lot more public speaking and elaborate on what I've learned and what I've been through and just, yeah, just advent, just be Mr. Adventure Guy. Wow, man. Um, this is a really good podcast. <laughs> Made a couple hours. <laughs> that was amazing, man. Um, I, I think that you deserve all the success that's coming to you. I appreciate it, mate. But um, yeah, just before we wrap, I just really, really want to thank the guys who have helped me this winter. What Jamie Mitchell's done for me, he's been a brother. He has just lent me boards, wetsuits. Like you can see, it nearly brings tears to my eyes how much that guy's helped me when guys are just don't want to let you back into the sport. Jamie has done so much for me. Obviously, Luca, um, their whole family, Kurt from Power Lines, all of the locals at Mavs. Man, those guys are cool. Such unreal people. Um, Melissa Perry bought me two surfboards, so I was able to, you know, they're the boards I ride every every time. So I really want to thank those people for helping me out and allowing me to, you know, to get some waves finally after all those years away. And uh, where can people get in touch with you? Um, all the Instagram, all at right. Clint Kimmons. At you know, Clint Kimmons. Pretty much across the board, so. Thank you so much. Thanks, mate. Thanks very much for having me. That's our show, everyone. I'm going to play you out with a song called St. Mark's by a band called Pinstripe Love Seat. These guys listened to the podcast. They sent me some tunes, and their music is available on Spotify. I will also link to their band page in the show notes under Clint's episode on my website, kyle.surf. That's also where you can donate to the podcast. This is an ad-free show, so if you feel comfortable buying me a cup of coffee every month, head over to the Patreon page on my website, kyle.surf, and donate. There are plenty of other ways that you can support the podcast by giving it a rating on iTunes. It takes two minutes, and it really does help me get these badass characters on the show. Um, Share this episode with a friend. Most importantly, though, just get outside, give someone a high five, get in the ocean. If you're not near an ocean, get in a lake or a bathtub. Be a force of positivity in this beautiful fucking world and have a great day until next time. See you soon.
6 a.m. at the corner of St. Mark's Place. Something kept me waiting. Should've known better to fall for this once more. Yeah, should've known better than to walk right out that door. And I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry anymore.